0: He's got a power arm, and he's got a, a slider that gets swings and misses. So, I mean, there could be something there.
1: Is will he ever be anywhere near a sensible outfielder? It sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, their mascot. There's something else to be said, and I don't think I can say it out loud on the podcast. <laughs> And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars episode number 118. I want everyone to know that we're just one phone call away from our call up to the big leagues. I, of course, am talking about Josh Housem. How you doing, Josh?
0: I'm good. And you?
1: And, and myself, Greg Wisniewski. I'm doing fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, one call, that's technically correct, right? It's just one phone call. Darn right. <laughs> I guarantee you, we're not
0: going to be like, mm, well, let me think about that. Can you call me back in 20 minutes?
1: <laughs> oh, man. So we, we have a, a little bit of activity on the Jays front, and it's not all depressing. Um, although they got swept in Boston since we last spoke, really, uh, they did have a, a good start from Sanchez. Uh, in the Bronx, Sean Reed Foley and Thomas Pannone showed up in a, in a good way. Uh, Randall Gritchuk keeps ticking along like he is a full-time player. Uh, we do have the question: Will Teoscar Hernandez ever be sensible? Um, also, good news for Anthony Alfred—he is uh, a late call-up, but a call-up nevertheless. As the Blue Jays try and cram everybody onto the uh, onto the bench, I don't know if there's a seat left at the moment. Um, Ken Giles—he can throw 100 miles an hour. Did you know that? Yeah amazing um (laughs) a blue jays not even they were
0: allowed to do that
1: (laughs) uh just a quick note about richard urania we have your questions and then a gentleman named mike Wilbon wins our do over uh that was a pun but uh we'll get to that later of course so why don't we go with aaron sanchez because we need good news about either marcus stroman or aaron sanchez and marcus stroman is not this week's good news
0: how did sanchez do really well (laughs) Yeah, we talked about this, obviously, the last few podcasts, about what we need to see from Sanchez going forward. And last week we mentioned how he'd done pretty well his last time out. Eight strikeouts and six innings against Tampa, three runs. It's not bad. Oh. This time out against the best team by far in, the, in baseball this year, the Boston Red Sox, Sanchez shut them down. I mean, he gave up a run, but it was on a wild pitch. And struck out six, three hits, three walks over seven innings. It was a truly great outing.
1: Uh, Blue Jays lost that game, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, one nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's the Ryan Barucki syndrome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, certain that's changed a little bit since. But one of the really interesting things about that start, and we've talked about this before. I mean, the Aaron Sanchez is curveball. It's what, you know, it's hammers and bullets, as you used to dub him, right? Mm-hmm. The bullets haven't quite been there this year because not throwing quite as hard. We talked about how, you know, the arm stuff could contribute to that and he could be back next year. But the the hammers haven't been there either. And this was the first start all season where he threw more curveballs than changeups.
1: And it worked.
0: Yeah. He threw 27 curveballs to 15 changeups.
1: Um, and we didn't hear blister news right immediately afterwards. So that's a good sign.
0: Yeah, it really is. And this is probably. The best thing that we can say since, since Sanchez came back on August 25th, he's made four starts in that time frame, and he has yet to throw fewer than 12 curveballs in any of those outings. Whereas his previous start before going on the DL, he threw zero. So, so if,
1: if he was afraid of the curveball, he is now, for whatever reason, not afraid of it.
0: Right, and that's huge because his curveball is when he's throwing it right, it's a devastating pitch.
1: Yeah, it, it as as a just a layperson spectator watching on TV. You can tell it is the best weapon uh, that he has to get strikeouts. Um, and it fools people in a way that uh, none of his other pitches do consistently.
0: Yeah. I mean, the changeup was doing well early in the season. He was getting some decent swings and misses on it. I mean, he had some gains where he was quite up, quite high up there. But the curveball is the power strikeout pitch, and he he has to have that to be what he was. And
1: since what he was was the American League ERA leader one year, we're hoping so much that we get back in that direction. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, So we do have the the young kids, so to speak, uh, which is Sean Reed Foley, uh, who did get the call and has had, was it four starts now? Five. Five Five starts Um, with mixed results. Uh, and Thomas Benone, who, uh, who's who been all over the place. He bounced around a little bit. Uh, they had a good time in New York and didn't get zero runs scored
0: for them. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so read fully when I'll start with that one, because, you know, in his previous four starts, he faced two minor league teams, the Royals and the Marlins, and then faced Cleveland and the Yankees. He pitched reasonably well against Kansas City and dominated the Marlins, but got pounded by the yankees and the indians so it was nice to see him go out there and just don he dominated the yankees he only threw five innings because he's had 10 strikeouts in those five innings which drove his pitch count up
1: the yankees are you know they are a team that when they're not on are prone to the strikeout but nevertheless they're also prone to hitting the home run because every other guy in that lineup is a masher
0: yeah, and he you know, he got himself in a couple of jams because he did walk a few guys, four walks in the five innings. But I mean, he got 14 swinging strikes, and he's now been had double digit swinging strikes in four of his five outings. And you know, he obviously has some rest to him, as we've as I just mentioned, he got shelled in two of his five starts. But he's got a power arm, and he's got a, a slider that gets swings and misses. So I mean, there could be something there. You you can't from from my
1: understand you can't really teach swing and miss um, I either by the time a guy is, is arrived at the majors he has a swing and miss pitch or he doesn't would you agree with that
0: uh, for the most part yeah I mean it, it, for example you could be like a guy like Aaron Sanchez where he he was almost entirely fastballs in the early parts of his career so he was getting almost no swings and misses but yeah like you either have a swing and miss pitch or you don't for the most part some guys add them later but it's rare.
1: Right and and just fiddling around with a pitch you have is is unlikely to turn a you know a decent swing and miss kind of you know uh pitch into into a strikeout monster. Like nobody just reaches into their pocket and gets Chris Sale slider one day because they needed a swing and miss pitch.
0: Yeah, I mean it happens like you get Charlie Morton just suddenly, "Oh, I'm throwing 99 all of a sudden and have a hammer breaking ball, but it's yeah, it's very uncommon.
1: So the fact that um that Reed Foley is is able to get swings and misses means he's he's got a, a a better chance of working with that than he did starting from nothing. I guess is my point here.
0: Yeah, I mean guys will maybe see like a grade go up on a pitch. So if a pitch is like a solid pitch it can go to plus, but you don't usually see guys go from like having nothing that can miss bats at all to missing as many bats as Reedfully does.
1: So can he harness that next year? Mm, I guess we're gonna have to find out. Uh panone though. We we don't want to discount Pannone's
0: effort. No, we don't. And this is one I specifically wanted to touch on because Pannone, has—he's had some pretty solid outings of late. I mean, he, he's three and one. Obviously, record doesn't mean anything, but you know, well, does it?
1: No, that's later.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, we'll get to that. But I mean, he's in since coming to the big leagues. He's had one horrible start against the Orioles, and otherwise, he's been very, very good. And in this outing against the Yankees, it started off about as badly as you could. He gave up a home run to the first batter of the game. And then he gave up, I believe it was, it was a home run walk single. And by the time the inning was done, it was two nothing or two one. No, two nothing. And it's just like, oh God, it's going to be one of those games. And then he gave up nothing the rest of the way.
1: Writing uh, the ship it is always nice. Um, but like you said, he hasn't really had to write the ship too often. So nice to see him to be able to do that Uh, again in Yankee stadium. This is, this is an intimidating ballpark and, and I don't think people necessarily get that it is an intimidating ballpark, not just because of its dimensions, but the whole, the Yankee marketing machine is on the opposing team in Yankee stadium from the moment they walk through the door.
0: Yeah. And just aside from the ballpark, you're dealing with a lineup that starts off with McCutcheon and then during Carlos Stanton. I mean, that that's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. But and the, the really interesting thing to me about this one, too, was, and this is sort of uh, the advantage of the September being out of it baseball in the seventh inning with the Blue Jays leading. Uh, I can't even remember what the score was at that point. I think it was two to one. Or no, that doesn't make Three sense. They two? were trailing two to one, or trailing <clears throat> two, two to one because they came back late. They came back in the, in the top of the eighth. He gave up, he got an out for the first batter, and then he went walk single with Gary Sanchez coming up. And if this is a game that where the Jays are really battling, there's no way he gets to try and get out of that. But because these are out, these games are meaningless, Gibbons left him in to see what he could do, and he was able to get Sanchez and then Luke Voigt out to end the inning. And that, you know, that shows a little something, that this guy is able to get into this jam in a key spot and get out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like you said. It's just what you get when not every single pitch, every single out counts. You get to, you get to find out if, if, what they're made of. I guess is is sort of what the uh, old school thing is. But I mean, you want the experience of having a pressure situation and knowing what what works and what doesn't in that pressure situation before uh, the whole house of cards comes crashing down and you you know you lose a playoff spot because of it or something.
0: Right. Exactly. So i mean this is the kind of thing that we can look for towards the season you know as the season goes towards its end these players in pressure spots yeah there's no pressure in terms of the actual outcome for the jays but there's outcomes that matter for the teams they're playing so there's still a pressure in that moment and just see how they respond Uh,
1: randall grichuk i remember the first month randall grichuk could not buy a hit a walk uh, he purchased all of the strikeouts at the store. They ran out, um, and then he got hurt. And that was like, well, he was playing. He was playing. Sorry, he had like what a, a week and a half where he was playing well, and then he he dove and hurt his wrist.
0: And he was playing okay.
1: Yeah, like he he, he wasn't offering his his way through. And now, as we round ourselves to the last two weeks of the season, Randall Grichuk. What is his OPS? He entered the day at 8.02. 8:02. 8:02 is, is is that's a pretty decent for a corner outfielder who plays, you know, plus defense,
0: especially one who can play center field, which is the more important part there. Mm-hmm. How the heck and, did that? Happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's second on the team in home runs. He's up to 23. He and this is so we're seeing what the Jays sort of hoped they could get with Randall Grichuk, because no one ever expected him to be a guy who's going to hit. You know, 280 with a 330 on base or anything like, well, maybe 330 they hope for, but you know he's hitting 250 ish with a 300, 305 to 310 on base. Up, it goes up and down from there, and a slugging up near 500. And that's what he's, that's what he was the previous couple of years before last year's bad season. So it's very clear that they won that trade in the sense of like they got what they were hoping for, at least in his first season
1: yeah and and the injury was not a uh you know a a shoulder injury per se or you know a a hamstring injury or a it it was it was an on the field injury you could watch it happen he healed up from it so from that perspective i don't think the jays are worried about anything that way so it bodes well for next year
0: yeah you know i mean he's a little older he's going to be or he just turned 27, so he's not—he's not exactly one of the young guys on the club, but he's by no means old. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if he can even maybe to take another step forward. But if not, this is still a very useful player.
1: Yeah, I, I think you—you you take plus defense in a. OPS around 800 and you run with it, and if you get something more than that, fantastic, but I, I certainly, I wouldn't be pushing him to be more than what he is, because like you said, he's been approximately this for two or three years and had a bad, he had an off season. Yeah. Uh, the the other guy who they have in the outfield, who the question for next year, I guess, is, is probably the biggest, because of the amount of playing time he had early in the season, is Teoscar Hernandez, who I will not dispute, hits magnificent bombs. Uh, my question for you is: Will he ever be anywhere near a sensible outfielder?
0: It sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, we're, I think he's second in the team in errors, and he's an outfielder. <laughs> That's really hard to do. So I I have not taken in a,
1: a tremendous amount of baseball in the last couple of weeks, but I did take in a few innings on the weekend. Um, and of course, it did not take long for Teoscar Hernandez to prompt this question because uh, ground ball into left field. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton, I believe, was the batter. Uh, it was possibly a double because it was a very slow rolling ball to the outfield. And Teoscar, I think saw Stanton rounding hard around first. So he decided he was going to pick up and barehand a rolling ball in the Yankee outfield in in the Yankee Stadium. Why why would you do that? What like the, the quarter of a second that you gain in the outfield from not using your glove, what possible advantage would that make it second base?
0: Yeah, and this is why I think that there's a chance he could make drastic steps forward because a lot of his errors or his misplays are just brain cramps. they just, he just does something dumb. Like he just does throws to the wrong base or like doesn't throw the ball hard or takes a weird route to a ball. And you can learn those at least to, to be better than he has been. I mean, by D de- by defensive run saved, he's at minus 17 and then he, there's nowhere to go but up from there. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. I don't know the, he can't get any worse. So he must get better is really what I wanted to hear. I, I suppose it's true, but I mean,
0: but this isn't like you know, an Adam Dunn or Chris Colabello where the guy's just slow as dirt and it says <laughs> you just know he doesn't belong in the outfield. Hernandez has, Hernandez has all the tools to be a good outfielder, he's quick and he's got a good arm.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, I I follow you. It's just it's it's like the fact that he's in his twenties and he hasn't been able to put those ingredients together into a successful outfield strategy is is a bit disheartening. True. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I am going to because uh, you did you did bring up the latest call up. I, I'm going to read tonight's tonight's uh, box score, so to speak, for the Blue Jays. let scroll. There we are. Uh. So. Uh, the lineup was McKinney, Guriel, Morales, Kritchik, Salarte, um, Pilar, Tellez, Jansen, Urania. The bench <laughs> Alfred, Davis, yeah. Hernandez, Mele, Martin, Maguire, Smith, Smoke, Travis, and I missed someone. Oh, Diaz. The bullpen Barnes, Biagini, Clipper, Estrada, Fernandez, <laughs> Galileo, Giles, Gurrieri, Leiter, Mesa, Panone Paulino, Patricia, Patricia, Reed Foley, Sanchez, Schaefer, Strowman, (laughs) Tapera. All of those people are in the ballpark in a major league uniform right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they could play an entire team and not having people playing out of position except for Russell Martin, who doesn't have a position anymore, from their bench.
1: (laughs) There was a time many moons ago when uh, Vernon Wells hurt his thumb Like three games left at the end of the season and could not make throws from the outfield. And there were no consequential games happening. And they opted to not call anyone up because it was just going to be too much of a hassle. So they had him flip the ball to the other outfielder he was near and they would throw it in, typically.
0: That's crazy. but (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was. I mean, the Jays have 38 players on their active roster. (laughs) That's active. That's in the dugout and on the bench so i guess when the, the same thing in the bullpen and on the bench yeah
1: so who's the the who's on the 40 man question is just the lineup card
0: minus one player
1: oh yes Oh uh, what
0: or who, plus one
1: who is our unfortunate um player you can tell the nice folks
0: who, who Poor got dalton pompey <laughs> he's the only one
1: why would they do that to him was that just a stone cold move or is he like hurt but not on the dl or what
0: uh i think it might be a punishment or something because he got suspended towards the end of the season Uh, For
1: we do we know what he got suspended for
0: not that i'm aware of but i mean yikes
1: (laughs) (laughs) everybody coming to not you (laughs) <laughs> no,
0: no no. and he can't be hurt. He played up until September 3rd, which is the last game of the season for for uh for Buffalo. So they just didn't call him up. Wow. The only one. They have 38 guys on their active roster and then Brandon Drury's on the DL.
1: And that's your 40 man.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I guess that's uh, my way of congratulating Anthony Alford on being the the 38th most important person in the Blue Jays organization. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and there was a piece written. I think with Shah Davidi just discussing how theoretically this could keep Anthony Alford from becoming a super two player. And, and, and to Shah's credit, he he did mention what I'm about to say in there as well. But there is no chance Anthony Alford is breaking the team breaking <laughs> the, breaking camp with the team next year after the year he had in Buffalo. So it's not going to matter. Right. Um. Yeah.
1: There's. There's. Certainly going to be a glut of outfielders. And uh, Anthony Alford did not show that he was making that big step just yet. So maybe next year in about July, (laughs) he'll have shown something. Yeah. Uh, The next one item I had was 100 Miles Giles, which was on the back of his uniform on Players Weekend, to my understanding.
0: Yep. And it was kind of funny because he hadn't come close to that as a Blue Jay yet.
1: and uh, in he he looked pretty sharp in yankee stadium
0: and he reached 100 miles an hour and you know obviously like it's a, it's an arbitrary you know, like it's not a huge functional difference between 199 but harder is better <laughs> harder is better and it's, it's just nice to see it because we talked about this and we joked about it with Nathan Ivaldi you know the idea of like let's get him because he throws hard <laughs> but this is something that's worth mentioning i mean Ken Giles was, entering this season, considered one of the top five, six, seven closers in all of baseball. And this was part of why, because he throws really hard and he's got a really good power slider that people swing and miss at. And we talked about this when the trade happened, but getting him and two guys that could be at worst late-inning relievers that's a fantastic return for roberto osuna and if he can return turn back at all close to this giles i mean to what he was before then the jays did really really well
1: um and giles is perfect in safe situations with the blue jays interestingly enough uh he has had a couple of not safe situations but uh when it's counted he's shown up so i i certainly don't think uh, there's any reason to believe he can't at least be a very capable closer going into next season. It's it's one of the the check boxes that Blue Jays don't have to look for a check for uh, if they don't want to going into 2019.
0: Yeah, and just also specifically too, like I, I don't know if it was because he was down in the minors and not pitching the same frequency. I I didn't actually check, but you know, even in those early rough outings with, for the non-safe situations, he just was he was throwing like 96, 97, which is hard. But he wasn't throwing as hard as he had habitually thrown when he was the the top closer for the Astros. So it's really nice to see it come back. Absolutely. On that note,
1: I would like to say we're just going to take a brief break and then we're going to come back with your questions and an old school Fire Joe Morgan type do over. (laughs) We'll be right back. And we have returned as promised. I've never failed to return from a short break like that. Uh, wasn't going to start now. Of course, that means It'd be that weird we if should, that did happen, wouldn't we it? Just yeah, like, just like <laughs>
0: the podcast just ends.
1: Music just plays out. It's like, that's that's weird. He said he'd be back. <laughs> um, anyway, You'd we're be gonna... like uh,
0: the football player who retired in the middle of the game. That
1: is epic. That is that is just the that's almost as good as john crook retiring after his last single but but the whole you know i've looked around davis sorry
0: vonte davis was the player
1: but vonte davis the whole i've looked around i've looked at this team i've looked at what we're doing on the field and you know i'm out i'm i'm out that's it <laughs> <laughs> you cannot pay me enough to sit around here that's the best anyway uh your questions coming right up
0: time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly
1: here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question.
0: Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please?
1: And there we go. So, we have a lot of questions. It's, things have ramped up, so to speak. Uh, Matt mm-hmm. Sweeby, early this week, he was excited to ask, um, what sort of return... Oh, that's at Matt. for those of you who might want to follow. What sort of return do you think these guys would get if they were dealt this offseason? Ken Giles. Kevin Pilar, Devin Travis, and Yen Hervis Solarte.
0: So for Solarte, because I think he'd get the worst return of these four players, I think it'd be something similar to what they traded for him in the first place, maybe even slightly worse. Just a you know, a long-term flyer upside prospect. Because frankly, he's had a pretty terrible season. And he got exposed. You know, I like think he's now two down seasons in a row. He's in the wrong side of 30. I think that. He's more likely just a, you know, they decline his option than get anything of value for him. Devin Travis and Kevin Pilar, I think that they could at least return something of semi-use, maybe like another big leaguer making a few billion bucks that a team was considering non-tendering or something like that. And then Ken Giles is the one you could get the most for, but he's the one that makes no sense to trade because closers get way bigger returns at the deadline.
1: Absolutely. That's when teams know they're desperate as opposed to when they think
0: they might need something in their bullpen in the off
1: season.
0: Yeah. I mean, just look at what Cleveland gave up for Brad hand and Adam Simber. They give up Francisco Mejia, the best catching prospect in baseball and a consensus top 10 guy overall, who just hit a walk-off grand slam, by the way.
1: What is more fun than the walk-off grand slam?
0: Nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hit me with question two. Okay. This one's from, this one comes from Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans six. What has been your favorite 2018 moment slash game? I think beating New York with Panone on the mound and a catcher that was telegraphing his curve has to be one of my favorites. Thanks for all the fun.
1: I think there's some recency bias there from Colleen, uh, but my understanding is you did not see the broadcast of that particular Panone start. Um, Danny Jansen was catching Panone, I believe. Um, You know what? It might not be. uh, Who's the other catcher? Reese McGuire. Might have been McGuire. Um, So Buck noticed that when Pannon was, when the catcher would call for a curve ball with nobody on base, he would leave his his hand down on the inside of his thigh where he had called for the pitch, ready to catch a ball that was going to bounce up. Whereas whenever he called for the fastball or the changeup, he would put his arm back behind his back to hide his hand and protect it. Um, And he did it consistently for an entire inning when buck and dan picked up on it so uh, buck martinez baseball iq actually higher than we might give him credit for
0: well especially when it comes to catchers because he was a catcher like, buck actually he knows the game we've said before that when he's doing the role as an analyst which he was clearly doing in that moment and actually he was playing the analyst because showman was calling those games exactly he's good i mean like i had some beefs with him early in that one because he was saying some crazy things about lance lynn but in general buck does understand baseball it's just when he has to talk too much he says dumb things
1: and then pat tabler nods and repeats them
0: <laughs> yeah and just like he just says the same words different in a different order but i mean buck is useful right <laughs> he's just he's just miscast yeah i think
1: i think though uh, th- that as a fun moment was certainly a standout in, in the sense of. um a pitcher is often accused of tipping pitches, but rarely would you see a catcher do something um, that would tip the pitch per se. But he Buck did point out that the man on deck, if he was, it was a fairly obvious sign. He would have time to um, send you know some sort of of uh, audio or visual audio probably cue to the batter that it, it might be a curveball if if they were consistent and noticed it quick enough.
0: Yep and as for the other part of the question colleen about our favorite moment from the season we're gonna save that one because as soon as the season's over we do our big rap pod and that's part of what we discuss. but we'll definitely get to that part and thank you for listening you mentioned the fun but we we're glad you enjoy it
1: um kevin ahoy at flight sim geek uh, is there a 10 percent chance gibby comes back to manage the jays he'll be missed even by those who didn't like him Handicap the successors schneider wedge hale or someone else
0: 10% chance. Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't put it any higher than that for Gibby. I I I think it's very unlikely that he returns. So I, I might even put it at 5%. Of those, of the three non-others you put, I think Schneider, I'd give him a 20%, maybe. Wedge, same thing. Wedge and Hale, I think 5% both. And then so that I what did I give? Five to Gibby? Yep. So that's 35%. 35. So 65% other. I think they're gonna go find someone else. If it's not Schneider, it'll be someone from outside the organization. I don't think it'll be Wedge or Hale.
1: That's interesting because Wedge always seems to come up at some point in the discussions.
0: Um, Mania- I think that was because he was the one of their first hires. Right, right. You know, when Gibbons was there as like, oh, he's their guy, he's the manager in waiting. But he's been there for a while now, working in player development. I don't think he's going to go in behind the bench.
1: Uh, Wedge has also been a lot of teams go to as a manager when they're looking for an analytically minded guy depends what they're looking for with these rookies what the philosophy is going to be um, we know it's going to be a young team a developing team but we don't know how how heavy they're going to be on things like shifts and um, and launch angle and, and all that kind of thing how they communicate that to the players because they, they obviously have a kind of player they pursue I don't know how they they communicate with the players about those specific things they've been pursuing like do do they did they tell guys that they brought them on board because they had a certain kind of fastball no idea.
0: <laughs> next. Okay. This next question comes from, well, we have a, just a thank you from Matt Corey, Matthew that, Corey.
1: That's thank you for getting swept. Is that, I presume what the thank you is?
0: No, it's for beating the Yankees.
1: Oh, okay. Well, it's, it, it could be both.
0: <laughs> well, no, because the tweet said after a series win in New York. Ah, uh, no question. Just thanks. Um, and that's the only thank you we'll accept. We're not going to take a thank you for being swept.
1: You know, the, the, there is an upside to uh, to being friends of, of different podcasts and, and, and people, you know, who we have on the show. Um, the upside is whenever we talk to the Bird's Eye View Baltimore guys, and the downside is when we talk to Matt Corey. No, Matt, really. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go yeah, out it. right at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, there was a funny thing, just this reminded me, like, everyone just doesn't like the Yankees when the Mets and the Red Sox fans in unison were chanting Yankees suck
1: it's true baseball heaven
0: although it's like to me if I'm the Yankees nothing says that these other teams have inferior inferiority complexes that was hard to say (laughs) and that they're defined (laughs) by you than them chanting about you in a game you're not involved in
1: (laughs) also true still I like to hear Yankees suck more than I like to hear a lot of other things chanted so we'll go with that
0: yeah so, but I'll ask you an actual question now. Really? From okay. Sam from Sam Dowdle, at Sam Dowdle. With the Blue Jays tracking to 40 games behind by regular season's end, what team will you guys be following this postseason and why?
1: Why doesn't he just, just put paper cuts all up and down my arm and rub salt and lemon juice in the wound? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> That's from the Princess Bride. But, um, I know. Like, did you have to point out we're 40 games behind? Really? Like... It's fine. <laughs> They're not last. Um, what teams? Well, Cleveland is tempting because of the Edwin Encarnacion slash Josh Donaldson connection. It is it is tough to not have a, a connection with those guys. I uh, don't think the Astros are my team anymore for reasons. Um, are the Dodgers going to make the postseason again? Maybe. If they do, I'm 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 a Dodgers guy because I can't like the American League teams to spend all the money because they're in my division. So I like the Dodgers. So that's my National League pick.
0: Rockies all the way, baby. The absurd pick. I love the Rockies. How do you not like the Rockies?
1: <laughs> well, they do wear purple. There's something to be said for that. Uh however, their mascot, there's something else to be said, and I don't think I can say it out loud on the podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, moving on then. <laughs> um yeah I'll, got, yeah I'll ask you another one okay from heated end at heated end who else will join gibby in stephen brunt's level of pretty okay by me did not know there was a level of pretty okay by me though it does seem to sort of make
1: sense um i don't know that's a weird one <laughs> uh,
0: who is that's why the- i asked it to you before you could ask it to me <laughs>
1: uh i think pat Henkin is in the pretty okay by me right he's never going to get on the level of excellence is he no, but he's he's kind of served the team in a bunch of roles that are are not necessarily, uh, they, or they are what you might call a thankless job: the the bullpen coach, the roving instructor, never had the glory. Um, yeah, I'll go with I'll go with Pat Henkin randomly, and now you've had time to think of someone.
0: Oh, Pat Henkin was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it'll be Pat Borders, who's you know, he's been a coach around the league too, and same kind of same kind of idea. The two Pats, they get the, the their own Pat level.
1: <laughs> the level of Pat, who's okay by me. Yeah, sure. Um, Zahir at Zeroid asks Donaldson's WRC plus with Cleveland regular season and playoffs
0: over under
1: one twenty five.
0: I'm going over. I think he's going to mash.
1: Uh, I agree with you because 125 for Josh Thompson is actually a pretty low bar when he's healthy. And I don't think Cleveland's going to play him until he's healthy, healthy. I know they brought him off the DL, but I mean, they're not going to make him play every day until he's healthy enough to be a real force.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's struggling his first few at bats, two for 13. He has a home run, but I think once he gets going and he will get going, he's going to hit very, very well.
1: Uh, Gavin Whitehead at OK Blue Jays 29 the sunflower seed shower do we have any idea when it started why it started and does anyone really like it for some reason it makes me unreasonably annoyed
0: i have no idea when or why it started uh yeah it's it's kind of dumb
1: <laughs> i think Just- the the Mariners a couple of years ago had someone who insisted on running out with a, a single cup of water instead of the Gatorade bath and dumping it on someone. Um, it seems to me to be in the same vein.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember it was like uh, 2013, 2012, somewhere there. like I remember there was a thing where Jeremy Guthrie got showered with sunflower seeds. And I don't know, it's just guys throwing sunflower seeds at people, you know, they do it on camera just for fun, I think. it's, But yeah, it's kind of silly.
1: And also a complete waste of perfectly good sunflower seeds. True. What's your last one?
0: All right. This one from Kate Stanwick at OK Stan. O-H-K Stan. Who do you think the front... Why do you think the front office is not calling up Pompeii? And what does this say about his future with the team?
1: I think they don't like him. I think we discussed that earlier. Um... What does it say about his future with the team? I Actually, I think the writing's been on the wall for Dalton Pompey for probably six months. Ha ha. Um, when he was A, still hurt, and B, not their first pick to do really anything. Um, I think with the number of, of players they have ready to take roles, I think Dalton Pompey is just never going to get that shot even though he may have deserved it at some point due to a combination of inju- injury and underperformance and this is this is kind of the quiet fading away <laughs> I agree That's a sad question to end on isn't
0: it Yeah. well we do this chronological order <laughs>
1: <laughs> I Ask exciting questions right at the end. no. Okay, don't wait till right at the end because you have no idea when we're recording. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll figure that out next week. We'll we'll do something there. So, of course, we have to go to the other feature we have, which is the do over.
0: Oops! I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet.
1: <laughs> but what if you could do it all
0: over again? But what I really
1: meant was. All right. Uh, Andrew Claudio provides us this clip of Mike Wilbon discussing, sorry, uh, discussing the Cy Young Award prospects of Jacob deGrom, who is awesome, but the Mets never score any runs for.
0: And this is from Pardon the Interruption. I didn't give you analytics. I gave you metrics. Garbage. Metrics. Okay. Because if he goes, if he goes now, it's garbage. Eight and eleven, and he wins the Cy
1: Young. All the people voting for the Cy Young should be dismissed, and they should bring a new panel in (laughs) and let them vote. Okay. okay. That's a wonderful argument. Do you like that argument? Eight and eleven, you can't win the Cy Young.
0: (laughs) Mike Wobon is stuck in like nineteen eighty-five or something like that.
1: So, here's the fun Jacob deGrom set. I believe he has the best ERA in the National League. In baseball. The, um, the opposing starters, when the Mets have faced someone for Jacob deGrom, have had an ERA of something like 2.39, which means <laughs> that collectively, the Mets have faced the second best starter in the National League every time deGrom takes to the mound.
0: They suck. <laughs> yes. The Mets are really bad. And I mean, Jacob DeGrong set the record for, and it's still going, actually, consecutive games without allowing more than three runs. Major what? league record. Yeah.
1: Why would you deny this man an award because his team cannot ever score him runs regardless of who they are facing? Why would you be penalizing him for that? And then why would you say that out loud like it was a smart thing to say on television?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's look. You want to say that Aaron Nola or Max Scherzer deserve the Cy Young Award? There's very credible cases to make there, but to say that Jacob Degrom does not deserve it because he's eight and eleven is just bad. I won't swear, but it's just it's crazy. <laughs> so uh, he does go on to say, of
1: course, that you know wins are the most important thing, and I don't know how these old school guys continue to confuse pitcher wins, which is just a letter W put against some arbitrary qualifiers. Remember, if you leave after four and two thirds innings with a nine run lead and you get hurt, you can't win the game. Um, Against actual wins, which are something a team does over the course of a 162 game season. How Just because they're named the same...
0: They get all confused. What's really funny about that too? It's like they don't award the MVP to the guy who scored the most runs, <laughs> right? If anything, yeah. that should be the same to the equivalent. It's like, well, you <laughs> the more runs you get, that's how you win.
1: Um, so uh, do over, offer up if he comes on the show and says, "But just pitcher wins don't matter."
0: No, he just needs to acknowledge because, like we're never going to get that far. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna happen. Just acknowledge that pitcher wins and team wins are not remotely equivalent. Yeah, I think that's we're fair. setting the bar low on this do-over.
1: Yeah, that that one. Although they are named the same thing, uh, they're not materially the same thing. It seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I. I'm glad they give us material every week out there in TV land and radio land. (laughs) I offer up to you, sir, the opportunity to have a final thought.
0: Yeah. So after our slightly depressing final question, it says, it seems like we should go with a more happier final thought. Last week's podcast, I brought up the thing about the pitchers who had started a game in a year under four, and it was just Tyler Clippard. Mm. Pannone and Barucki have now reached that list. Yes, Barucki, yeah, Baruchie threw eight shutout innings as we were recording this against Baltimore, and then that Pannone start against the Yankees knocked him down below.
1: It it's it, much rejoicing was to be had among all, um, over all the land,
0: but it's uh, the rookies are doing okay. <laughs> That's what matters.
1: <laughs> Indeed, it is. So speaking of the Baltimore Orioles, who as you said were just defeated by the Blue Jays, that was their um, their one hundred and seventh loss of the season. Uh, you remember the 1988 Baltimore Orioles?
0: I was 4, so no. Uh
1: so they are legendary for having lost the first 21 games of their season in a row in 1988. I did remember that. Yes. That team finished 54 and 107. So this is Equal to, with 11 games remaining, the worst Baltimore Orioles team to ever take the field. They're not an expansion team.
0: No, they are not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty bad. Uh, So, yeah, be thankful that the Blue Jays are in that division and and get to feast upon their pitching and... and, uh consume their batters whole before spitting them back out again Uh, because otherwise we'd probably be really discussing how bad the Blue Jays were.
0: Yeah, well, just before we just clock out, there was that question that you grumbled at that said the Jays are going to be 40 games out and they might be. They're 35 out. They're still 25 games ahead of the (laughs) Orioles. (laughs) The Jays Jays are closer to New York in the standings than they they are to Baltimore.
1: And they're... there's a team between them on the upside and there's nobody down there between them and Baltimore on that note I would guess I, I would once again declare that you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010 and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 118 and we'll talk at you next week